Act Two of the Second Part of Tamburlaine the Great by Christopher Marlowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, Scene One. Enter Sigismund, Frederick, and Baldwin with their train. Now say, my lords of Buda and Bohemia, what motion is it that inflames your thoughts and stirs your valors to such sudden arms? Your majesty remembers, I am sure, what cruel slaughter of our Christian bloods these heathenish Turks and pagans lately made betwixt the city of Zula and Danubius. How through the midst of Varna and Bulgaria, and almost to the very walls of Rome, they have not long since massacred our camp. It resteth now, then, that your majesty take all advantages of time and power, and work revenge upon these infidels. Your highness knows, for Tamburlaine's repair, that strikes a terror to all Turkish hearts. Natolia hath dismissed the greatest part of all his army, pitched against our power betwixt Cuthia and Orminius's mount, and sent them marching up to Belgasar, Acantha, Antioch, and Caesarea to aid the kings of Surya and Jerusalem. Now then, my lord, advantage take thereof, and issue suddenly upon the rest, that in the fortune of their overthrow we may discourage all the pagan troop that dare attempt to war with Christians. But calls not then your grace to memory the league we lately made with King Arcanus, confirmed by oath and articles of peace, and calling Christ for record of our truths? This should be treachery and violence against the grace of our profession. No wit, my lord, for with such infidels, in whom no faith nor true religion rests, we are not bound to those accomplishments the holy laws of Christendom enjoins, but as the faith which they profanely plight is not by necessary policy to be esteemed assurance for ourselves, so that we vow to them should not infringe our liberty of arms and victory. Though I confess the oaths they take breed little strength to our security, yet those infirmities that dost defame their faiths, their honor and religion, should not give us presumption to the like. Our faiths are sound and must be consummate, religious, righteous, and inviolate. Assure your grace to superstition to stand so strictly on dispensive faith, and should we lose the opportunity that God hath given to venge our Christians' death and scourge their foul blasphemous paganism as fell to Saul and Balaam and the rest that would not kill and curse at God's command, so surely will the vengeance of the highest and jealous anger of his fearful arm be poured with rigor on our sinful heads if we neglect this offered victory. Then arm, my lords, an issue suddenly giving commandment to our general host, with expedition to assail the pagan, and take the victory our God hath given. Exeunt Scene 2 Enter Orcanes, Gazellus, and Urabasa with their train. Gazellus, Urabasa, and the rest, now will we march from proud Orminius Mount to fair Natolia, where our neighbor kings expect our power and our royal presence. 
encounter with their cruel Tamburlaine that nigh Larissa sways a mighty host, and with the thunder of his martial tools makes earthquakes in the hearts of men and heaven. And now come we to make his sinews shake with greater power than erst his pride hath felt, and hundred kings by scores will bid him arms, and hundred thousands subjects to each score, which, if a shower of wounding thunderbolts should break out of the bowels of the clouds, and fall as thick as hail upon our heads, in partial aid of that proud Scythian, yet should our courages and steeled crests, and numbers, more than infinite, of men, be able to withstand and conquer him. Methinks I see how glad the Christian king is made for joy of our admitted truce that could not but before be terrified with unacquainted power of our host. Enter a messenger. Arm, dread sovereign and my noble lords, the treacherous army of the Christians, taking advantage of your slender power, comes marching on us and determines straight to bid us battle for our dearest lives. Traitors, villains, damned Christians! Have I not here the articles of peace and solemn covenants we have both confirmed, he by his Christ, and I by Mahomet? Hell and confusion light upon their heads, that with such treason seek our overthrow, and care so little for their prophet Christ. Can there be such deceit in Christians, or treason in the fleshly heart of man whose shape is figure of the highest God? Then if there be a Christ, as Christians say, but in their deeds deny him for their Christ, if he be son to ever-living Job, and hath the power of his outstretched arm, if he be jealous of his name and honour, as is our holy prophet Mahomet, take here these papers as our sacrifice, and witness of thy servant's perjury. He tears to pieces the articles of peace. Open, thou shining veil of Cynthia, and make a passage from the imperial heaven, that he that sits on high and never sleeps, nor in one place is circumscriptable, but everywhere fills every continent with strange infusion of his sacred vigour, may in his endless power and purity behold and venge this traitor's perjury. Thou, Christ, that art esteemed and omnipotent, if thou wilt prove thyself the perfect God, Worthy the worship of all faithful hearts, be now revenged upon this traitor's soul, and make the power I have left behind too little to defend our guiltless lives sufficient to discomfort and confound the trustless force of these false Christians. To arms, my lord, on Christ still let us cry. If there be Christ, we shall have victory. Excellent. Scene three. Alarms of battle within. Enter Sigismund, wounded. Is comforted, is all the Christian host, and God hath thundered vengeance from on high. For my accursed and hateful perjury, O just and dreadful punisher of sin, let the dishonor of the pains I feel in this my mortal, well-deserved wound, and all my penance in my sudden death, and let this death, wherein to sin I die, conceive a second life in endless mercy. Dies. Enter Orcanes, Gazellus, Urabasa, with others. 
Now lie the Christians bathing in their bloods, and Christ or Mahomet hath been my friend. See, here the perjured traitor Hungary, bloody and breathless for his villainy. Now shall his barbarous body be a prey to beasts and fowls, and all the winds shall breathe through shady leaves of every senseless tree, murmurs and hisses for his heinous sin. Now scalds his soul in the Tartarian streams, and feeds upon the baneful tree of hell, that zorkum, that fruit of bitterness that in the midst of fire is engraft, yet flourisheth as flora in her pride, with apples like the heads of damned fiends, the devils there in chains of quenchless flame shall lead his soul through Orcus' burning gulf, from pain to pain, whose change shall never end. What sayest thou yet, Gazellus, to his foil, which referred to justice of his Christ, and to his power, which here appears as full as rays of Cynthia, to the clearest sight? "'Tis but the fortune of the woes, my lord, whose power is often proved a miracle. "'Yet in my thoughts shall Christ be honoured, not doing Mahomet an injury, "'whose power had share in this our victory, and since this miscreant had disgraced his death, "'and died a traitor both to heaven and earth, we will both watch and ward shall keep his trunk.' amidst these plains for fowls to prey upon. Go, Uribasa, give it straight in charge. I will, my lord. Exit. And now, Gazellus, let us haste and meet our army and our brothers of Jerusalem, of Soria, Trebizon, and Amasia, and happily with full Natolian bowls of Greekish wine, now let us celebrate our happy conquests and his angry fate. Exeunt. Scene 4. The arras is drawn, and Xenocrates is discovered lying in her bed of state, Tamburlaine sitting by her, three physicians about her bed tempering potions, her three sons, Caliphas, Amyrus, and Celebinus, Theridamus, Tacheles, and Usum Kasane. Black is the beauty of the brightest day, the golden ball of heaven's eternal fire that danced with glory on the silver waves, now wants the fuel that inflamed his beams, and all with faintness and for foul disgrace he binds his temples with a frowning cloud, ready to darken earth with endless night. Xenocrate, that gave him light and life, whose eyes shot fire from their ivory brows, and tempered every soul with lively heat, now by the malice of the angry skies, whose jealousy admits no second mate, draws in the comfort of her latest breath, all dazzled with the hellish mists of death. Now walk the angels on the wall of heaven, as sentinels to warn the immortal souls to entertain divine Xenocrate. Apollo, Cynthia and the ceaseless lamps that gently looked upon this loathsome earth. Shine downwards now no more, but deck the heavens to entertain divine Xenocrate. The crystal springs, whose taste illuminates refined eyes with an eternal sight, like triad silver, run through paradise to entertain divine Xenocrate. 
the cherubins and holy seraphins that sing and play before the king of kings use all their voices and their instruments to entertain divine xenocrate and in this sweet and curious harmony the god that tunes this music to our souls holds out his hand in highest majesty to entertain divine xenocrate then let some holy trance convey my thoughts up to the palace of the imperial heaven that this my life may be as short to me as are the days of sweet xenocrate physicians will no physic do her good my lord your majesty shall soon perceive and if she pass this fit the worst is past tell me how fares my fair xenocrate i fare my lord as other empresses that when this frail and transitory flesh has sucked the measure of that vital air that feeds the body with his diseased health wane with enforced a necessary change may never such a change transform my love in whose sweet being i repose my life whose heavenly presence beautified with health gives light to phoebus and the fixed stars whose absence makes the sun and moon as dark as when opposed in one diameter their spheres are mounted on the serpent's head or else descended to his winding train live still my love and so conserve my life or dying be the author of my death i fare my lord as other empresses that when this frail and transitory flesh has sucked the measure of that vital air that feeds the body with his diseased health wane with enforced a necessary change live still my lord oh let my sovereign live and sooner let the fiery element dissolve and make your kingdom in the sky than this base earth should shroud your majesty for should i but suspect your death by mine the comfort of my future happiness and hope to meet your highness in the heavens turned to despair would break my wretched breast and fury would confound my present rest but let me die my love yes let me die with love and patience let your true love die your grief and fury hurts my second life yet let me kiss my lord before i die and let me die with kissing of my lord but since my life is lengthened yet a while let me take leave of these my loving sons and 
of my lords whose true nobility have merited my latest memory sweet sons farewell in death resemble me and in your lives your father's excellence some music and my fit will cease my lord they call for music proud fury and intolerable fit that dares torment the body of my love and scourge the scourge of the immortal god now are those spheres where cupid used to sit wounding the world with wonder and with love sadly supplied with pale and ghastly death whose darts do pierce the centre of my soul her sacred beauty hath enchanted heaven and had she lived before the siege of troy helen whose beauty summoned greece to arms and drew a thousand ships to tenedos had not been named in homer's iliads her name had been in every line he wrote or had those wanton poets for whose birth old rome was proud but gazed awhile on her nor lesbia nor corinna had been named xenocrate had been the argument of every epigram or elegy the music sounds xenocrate dies <laughs> what is she dead to Chelles. Draw thy sword, and wound the earth, that it may cleave in twain, and we descend into the infernal vaults to hail the fatal sisters by the hair, and throw them in the triple moat of hell, for taking hence my fair Sanacrate, Cassane and Theridamus, to arms, raise cavalieros higher than the clouds, and with the cannon break the frame of heaven, batter the shining palace of the sun and shiver all the starry firmament for amorous jove hath snatched my love from hence meaning to make her stately queen of heaven what god soever holds thee in his arms giving thee nectar and ambrosia behold me here divine xenocrate raving impatient desperate and mad breaking my steeled lance with which i burst the rusty beams of janus temple doors letting out death and tyrannizing war to march with me under this bloody flag and if thou pitiest tamburlaine the great come down from heaven and live with me again o oh, good my lord be patient she is dead and all this raging cannot make her live if words might serve our voice hath rent the air if tears our eyes have watered all the earth if grief our murdered hearts have strained forth blood nothing prevails for she is dead my lord for she is dead thy words do pierce my soul ah sweet theridamus say so no more though she be dead yet let me think she lives and feed my mind that dies for want of her where'er her soul be thou shalt stay with me embalmed with cassia ambergris and myrrh not lapped in lead but in a sheet of gold 
and till I die thou shalt not be interred. Then, in as rich a tomb as Mausolus, we both will rest, and have one epitaph, writ in as many several languages as I have conquered kingdoms with my sword. This cursed town will I consume with fire, because this place bereft me of my love. The houses burnt will look as if they mourned, and here will I set up her stature and march about it with my mourning camp, drooping and pining for Xenocrate. The Arras is drawn. End of Act Two of the Second Part of Tamburlaine the Great.